0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in
1: the show description to support now. Johnny Carson once interviewed Betty Davis and asked if she had any advice for young stylets wanting to get ahead in Hollywood. She suggested Take Fountain. Fountain Avenue runs parallel to Santa Monica and Sunset Boulevards in Hollywood and is often used to avoid the heavier traffic. And isn't that what we're all after? A smooth run, no holdups, not only in traffic, but also in life. How do people handle those holdups, the rejections? How do they create a life in the entertainment capital of the world? How do they identify and express their uniqueness in a place where hundreds of thousands are hoping to do the same. Welcome to Take Fountain. Compelling stories from passionate people who've made it, are making it, in Hollywood. Writers, comedians, actors, filmmakers. I'll talk to anyone with a story to tell.
0: Welcome to Take Fountain, a podcast of passionate people working on their dreams. Compelling stories from Hollywood. Your host, Ella James.
1: Hello, and my guest today on Take Fountain is an extraordinary man. He's an adventurer and he's passionate and optimistic and probably one of the most important words that we're discovering now during COVID that's going to get us through, and that is he's curious. He didn't lose his curiosity when he was finger painting and told to stop that now. When he reached a certain age, so let me introduce Craig Horsley. Hello, how are you?
0: Hi, Ella. This is fantastic. I'm so glad to be here. It's it's so exciting. It's great. Joining and
1: us live from New York, right?
0: Yeah, on Super, on Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> In, and it's and it's snowing, and um, I think we're going to get another three to six inches here, but oh it's boy. okay.
1: That's wonderful. I, I just I love the notion of it. Of course, I've never had to endure it or live in it. But you lived in you've lived in all parts of the world. Um And I mean, I think one of your earliest travels was was over to Abu Dhabi. Is that right?
0: Yes, it was it was a dream come true, to tell you the truth. I, I remember in third grade, when I was nine years old, mm-hmm. learning about the Trucial States, which was right. even before Abu Dhabi was a country, it, it, the United Arab Emirates was a country, saying, oh, I'd love to to be there, to work there. And um, I forgot about it. You know, you start working, and and um, I was working at Pricewaterhouse, and I was doing tax returns for people who were working in Abu Dhabi. And I was like, "All oh, right, I wanted to live there. And then I, you know, I didn't think about it. And then I wound up working for another company and my office mate, her best friend's fiance worked for an oil company in Abu Dhabi. And I said, oh gee, I always wanted to work in Abu Dhabi. And then I got a, a job uh, interview for a job in New York And I knew that they had an operation in Abu Dhabi. And throughout the interview process, I said, don't you have an operation in Abu Dhabi? And they're like, oh, we're not hiring. And I went to the next person, don't you have an operation? And the headhunter called me the next day and said, they really like you, but would you consider moving to Abu Dhabi? And I was like, yes. (laughs) And it was a dream come true. It was great.
1: Where did this passion for travel come from? Did you always have it or did something spark it off?
0: I mean, I think that I think the idea of living overseas was a passion, but I really until I was 27, I don't think I went live. I don't think I traveled any more than 150 miles away from my house. So once I was in Abu Dhabi, I was like, oh, my God, the Asia is nearby. Africa is nearby. And my love for travel just took off from there. So it was great.
1: I think. I was thinking about you and I thought most people they they make a living out of something that then becomes their life but you've you've made a living out of one thing the accountancy and then you've made a life out of theatre yes so so let's talk about that theatre thing was that was that always a passion like did you think um when you were younger oh I'm going to be an actor or I'm going to be a writer or a producer or any of those things
0: Well, I mean, funny thing is, I I would have loved to have been an actor, but reality is um, growing up, I had this very high-pitched voice, which basically, um, it could have been Minnie Mouse on the phone. And so I was very shy and very concerned about this high-pitched voice. And in college, I went to a voice therapist. And basically in nine weeks, this is the end product. Uh, I had Head to relearn. Event. I had to relearn how to breathe, right. and then uh, change my voice. And so after that, I was like, had much more confidence in myself, and uh, spoke more. And now, it hasn't been until probably the last five years that I've actually had the courage to actually go on stage.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And and. I mean, do you want to do more of that? Have you have you been having training? Have you what how has that looked for you?
0: I haven't had any training. And um what was funny was actually a year ago, February tenth, um I I started a cabaret uh site with a friend in November of two thousand nineteen. And on February tenth, two thousand twenty, I actually wrote produced and emceed uh, a cabaret show with six wonderful singers. And it was fantastic. I mean, I got up there, I actually sang, which I cannot sing, but it was a comedy bit of me singing badly. And um, and I loved it. So I was like, okay, let's, let's start doing this. And then of course COVID started and everything closed down. Um, but now it's like, okay, let me start sending out headshots and see if I can at least get extra work on some right. of TV shows and movies and whatever. So, yes. but, well, but the again, industry
1: is slowly opening up again, so the world is your oyster.
0: But the funny thing was that I wrote the show and I was totally incapable of remembering any of my lines. So as far as me acting, I think silent parts are the only thing- <laughs> <I'm->
1: <laughs> Honey, I gotta tell you, learning the lines is something that we all think about and and going for auditions I can be totally off book and it's and it's in my body and it's happening and it's all fine and then I let all my preparation go and I walk in the room and I'm like it, it's, <laughs> it's just and 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 you know you've ju- you've just got to know who is she what does she want? you know like because if you're relying on on uh, mnemonics or something to to remember the lines they just come naturally when you when you just know who she is and what she wants you know kind of and don't take so many edibles. Oh, you're in New York. You don't.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so my, so, my, friend, my friend Vincent was the director of, the, of my yes. show, and after a while, he just threw the script up in the air and said, "Why? Why am I even looking at this script? You, oh you can't God. get any of the lines." But There's a lot the
1: to be said. Thing. There's a lot to be said for improv, you know. I had a I had a show here in L.A. that ran for 17 weeks. Unmistakably Ella. And uh, and it started as one thing, and uh, after seventeen weeks, it was really a different show. It it yeah. it was always sixty percent improv, depending on the audience's response. Um, but it really uh, it it changed markedly. But you know, storytelling is different to a theatrical production, when, or particularly when you're reading someone else's words. If they're your words, you know, yeah, like whatevs. So let's talk about, you have an extraordinary love of theatre. So after Abu Dhabi, you returned to New York and started seeing plays.
0: Right. So basically, um, after living in Abu Dhabi, I said, I could live anywhere in the world, but if I'm going to live in New York, I'm going to enjoy what New York does best, and that was theatre. And so I basically saw... Over a hundred either off-Broadway, Broadway, non-for-profit shows a year for a number of years. And then in I think it was 1999, um, I went to the Fr- I volunteered at the New York Fringe Festival. Mm-hmm. And, and they do about 212 shows in a 10-day period. And as a volunteer, you're able to go see the shows for free if there are seats available. So I saw 57 in that 10-day period. Unfortunately, I said, some of these are terrible. <laughs> I could do better than this. So I um, wrote a play. And uh, it was accepted as a an alternate. But because I was going to self-produce, I took a course on how to produce theater, a three-day. Right. And from there, I met some producers. And even though I didn't produce my own play, I've invested in about 35 Broadway, Off-Broadway, and touring shows.
1: So how has that worked out for you?
0: I've loved the parties. Um, Haven't made any money. (laughs) Probably could have bought a house with the money that I lost on these things, but it was a passion. And, And one of the things that was that was definitely heartwarming to me was I would go up to some of the actors at the at the opening night parties and say, Oh, you were wonderful. It was great to see you. You did a great job. Congratulations. And I would say and they would say, and, and how are you involved? And I said, Oh, I'm I'm just an investor. And they looked at me and they said, Are you kidding? If it wasn't for your money, we wouldn't be on stage. And it totally it was definitely eye opening that I was actually an important part, even though I didn't write or direct. I was an important part in the theater process.
1: Oh, my Lord. Yes. So that that really changed things for you, I can imagine.
0: Yeah, it did. I mean, it, it tell, was, me, some
1: it, of, tell it, me some of the plays that you've invested in.
0: OK, some of the, the um, I actually have some of my playbills here. The, the, um, one of my favorites is the play that goes wrong. And right. that was on Broadway, it won uh, Tony for Best Scenic Design Mm -hmm. and it was touring the country until COVID. Um, So it will come back on tour, but it's an unbelievably great show. Um, The creative team is from England and they actually have a few online uh, TV shows uh, that you can try and catch online um but they that's probably one of my most successful because we made money on Broadway and we are making money off Broadway too. Um, An
1: old mate of mine from Australia performed in that both in the UK and in Australia.
0: It's it it's unbelievable I mean it, it's unbelievable what these guys have been able to create not only in that show but all the shows that they've done. Yeah. yeah. Um and, can you and,
1: remember offhand what some of those uh, online TV shows
0: are,
1: uh, Just so the audience can look them up, or, or the name of the company?
0: Well, basically, it's it's uh, either television gone wrong, something gone wrong, okay. um, and uh, there's a a magic show gone wrong, and there's a Christmas show gone wrong, um, and it's and they are the Mischief Company, Mischief. Yeah, company. yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, okay. So, uh, so I know you have playbills there. So show me, show me yours.
0: Okay. So um, the prom, which just was a movie on Netflix, I yes. invested in the Broadway show of that, and uh, that is going to start touring, uh, hopefully in November. One, uh, we're, we're thinking that COVID is going to. We'll see what happens in the world.
1: <laughs> right. Well, look. While we're there, let's talk about that because. I'm I'm a I'm a member of or I follow be an arts hero on Instagram, that highlights the fact that it's not only the people on the stage who are not working at the moment, but it is everybody behind the scenes. Yes. Um, how has COVID and and also the audiences who rely on going to theatre for their lives? How has this impacted you? What's it been like to not be able to go to the theatre? and see all of these shows.
0: Well, I mean, I it it's impacted me because I haven't been able to go. Um fortunately, I'm somebody who says, "Okay, if something's I don't miss it if it's not available, but I do I feel horrible for the actors, um the restaurants that are near the theaters, um even the parking lot attendants." I mean, it's just it's just been awful. Um I was actually talking to somebody today about this. And I said, actors have a, a long life of of being able to perform. So a year and a half, you know, it affects them, but they still have careers later. Singers, if they don't make it to, you know, on Broadway or off-Broadway, they might be able to do cabaret. The, the performance that I'm most worried about or concerned about is the dancers. Mm-hmm. Dancers definitely have a shelf life, kind of like football players and, and athletes and I am really concerned about their livelihoods even after the COVID is over. Yeah. Um, I, I've been watching some of the Zoom shows, some of the things that people have been able to do remotely. And I think this is going to, this time period is gonna create a new venue for performers. Mm-hmm. But in honesty, there's nothing like live theater. So. Oh
1: no. I mean, I remember, when i first came to new york it was 2010 and uh, and i came from australia on on vacation and i i booked everything i was seeing something every day whether it was a matinee or it was a nighttime performance i mean that was where all my budget went and um and i was in sydney we tend to have these larger theatres for if I use the word tentpole for when something tours that's big it's a very large theatre and what I was amazed about was not when you go to see something like Phantom um, at the Majestic where it's still quite a big theatre but these little theatres where you see something like Carnage or Race or Network yes. you know it's so personal and so intimate and I I mean, that's that's what I if I lived in New York, that that's what I would miss seeing these smaller venues, smaller performances, the intimacy, the closeness, the proximity um, is just so wonderful. And I, I feel for New Yorkers because, you know, when I when I was there, I was staying with a friend of a friend. And, um, and I said, I just feel like I'm awake all the time, you know. And she said, you you are. <laughs> it's driving us <just> insane. <laughs> and and um, I said, it's like the thrumming of the subway under the, under the footpath. Yeah. Um, and, and I said, everybody's alive. And she said, but what do have got to realize, Ella? You're in Manhattan. So anybody who's here is either at the top or on their way up or supporting the people who are on their way up or at the top. Because if you can't make it there- That's true. You have to leave. So there's this tremendous energy in the streets. So so what has it been? I mean, snow notwithstanding that you can't get out today. What's it like on the streets with it being so quiet?
0: Well, I live in Queens, so I'm a subway uh, away from Manhattan, but I have been in Manhattan. I was down in Soho, just a few days before Christmas, and normally you would have the hustle and bustle of Christmas shopping. And I'm walking down uh, East Broadway, and no one was in Sephora, no one was in Bloomingdale's, and I was like, "This is, this really is terrible." And the and the restaurants are closing, so it's very quiet. Um, yeah. Talking about small theaters, I actually became a board member of a non for profit theater company during COVID. Uh, called Urban Stages, and they've been around for over 20 years, uh, and they have their own theater, but again, we can't um, have any performances on the stage, so we've been doing some virtual performances. Right. Um, and I'm, ho- I, I, you know, Broadway is such an expensive venture. Um, uh, I invested in Matilda, and that was $18 million before you sold the first ticket.
1: Right.
0: For the scenery and the rehearsal and, you know, and um, it's going to take a while for Broadway to come back. But, uh, you know, fingers are crossed for off-Broadway and uh, non for theatre companies that they would be able to come back sooner because they're not, their, their operating expenses are less.
1: Yes, yes. And and what about those smaller venues that, for example, with your cabaret that you wrote, produced and, and, and performed in, what about those smaller venues? Uh, I mean, they would just be shuttered at the moment, right?
0: Yes. And, and especially since they, you know, you, you pay the performers, you might get a little bit of ticket sales, but the main thing is the food and beverage. And since nobody can even eat or drink indoors, they're all shuttered. Birdland, which is, you know, a world famous uh, jazz club, they actually did a, uh, a telethon two weeks ago just to raise money so they could keep on going. Take Fountain with Ella
1: James. OK, let's talk about cheerier stuff. Let's talk about you. Okay. <laughs> so here's this accountant who comes back to New York and watches every show imaginable. You work at the Fringe Festival and then you do your uh, producer's course with 35 other producers and you start investing in these main um, shows. You, you call it your hobby and... It's not successful in the traditional way, but this is where I think let's go back to that notion of most people make a living and then make a life out of the living. You made a living and then you've made a life. Yeah. So, so what is it? What is it that separates you from the pack when it comes to your smiling, your thinking process? Are you just open to opportunity? Are you just blinkers off? Are you a plan man? What What's your What's your template? I,
0: I'm 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 a very strict plan man in certain things. Um, my my friends laugh because I have a. I'm being an accountant, of course. I live on spreadsheets, so um, I have a spreadsheet that um, allows me to live to 101 and die with nothing in the bank. And uh, unfortunately, in 2008, when the stock market crashed, I had to live. I I had to die at 86. (laughs) (laughs) But it came back. So (laughs) so basically, in that regard, I'm a very planned man, but I'm very open. I mean, there there was a book uh, back in 1995 called The Celestine Prophecy. Yes. Yes.
1: I'm familiar with it.
0: And uh, basically it says, there are no coincidences. Always keep your eyes open. There are signs everywhere. And that's how I kind of have lived my life the last 25 years, 30 years.
1: You're a man after my own heart. Someone said to me the other day, uh, um, what's your dream and, um, or is that your dream? I think it was about having my show on Broadway. And, uh, and I said, oh, I don't have dreams. I said, if you have dreams and you're focused on one thing, then you miss all the opportunities that keep showing up around you and that you've got to be aware of, I think. Um, that's how it, I mean, like, you've, what do they say? Plan for, plan for tomorrow, but live like there isn't one.
0: Right. And, and every year, um, friends of mine on New Year's Eve, we have dinner and we write down our goals, for the coming year. We don't write down resolutions because that a lot of time resolutions are restricting. Yeah. But goals are ideas or or things that you want to achieve and, um, and 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 you have to have fun goals. So, you know, seeing 60 plays is a fun goal. Traveling to Disney World is a fun goal. But then, of course, you have your financial goals. I want to save a certain amount of money. I want to lose a certain number of pounds. Um, and that's that's uh, I want to like for me. I, I try and do something socially relevant. Um, I'll be doing income taxes for non uh, for low income people starting next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always you, you set goals, and at the end of the year, you look and say, "Oh, okay." I did some of them, I didn't do some of them. And then I did things that weren't even on my list. So you get extra credit.
1: Right. Yes.
0: Like this is extra credit. Getting to talk to you is extra credit this year.
1: Oh, bless. I'm just so glad. We were introduced, I should tell you, we were introduced by Chris Fahey, yeah. who was my last guest and so much fun. And I said, you know, everybody introduce me to some people and she went, I got to meet Craig Horsley. So <laughs> she doesn't speak like that. No. <laughs> That's why we're here. Um, The other thing that intrigued me about your life is that after leaving Abu Dhabi, you overlanded through the Middle East and Africa back home again. Uh, But you've also you've you've hit a number of bucket list places. Can you go through those for me and what that was like?
0: Um, Well, the. Right after Abu Dhabi, uh, because what happened was that the the oil company in Abu Dhabi, American oil company, we ran out of oil. So I actually had to shut down the entire company. Um, I was the last person to turn off the lights of the office after 25 years. And, um, And I got on a plane and went down to Harare and then took a nine and a half week back of a truck trip through Zimbabwe, Malawi, Zambia, Uganda. I got to see the gorillas, the mountain gorillas. And um, and then we ended up in Nairobi. Okay. And uh, after that, um, I went back home and I had a desire to climb Kilimanjaro. And it took me about 16 years from the date that I wanted to, to the date that I finally did because I had to get, it's an expensive trip. So I had to save enough money and get myself somewhat into shape (laughs)
1: yeah
0: and um so i climbed kilimanjaro i have to say that if you don't have a strong strong desire to climb mount kilimanjaro don't climb mount kilimanjaro
1: (laughs) (laughs) but you have the strong desire and you've done all of the preparation but it's hard right
0: it was very i mean what was what was very funny was that a friend of mine had done it and he did it in five days and he got very bad altitude sickness. So I was like, "Uh." Oh. so, and when I had done an overland to Tibet years earlier and I had terrible, I thought I was gonna die. I, I laid in bed and my heart was going like this and I was living in Abu Dhabi at the time and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder where they're gonna send the body. Will they send oh. it to Abu Dhabi or to New York? And so I knew I was I was uh, susceptible to altitude sickness. So I saw this one trip that took seven days. And I said, oh good, I'll be able to acclimatize. And it was me, sea level New York accountant, and two guys from Denver, Mile High City. One was a marathon runner, one was a mountain climber. And three days into the trip, I said, gee, tourism is really low. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, I haven't seen anyone else on this mountain. They said, we're we're taking the Western Breach. I was like, what? He said, this is the most difficult trail on the mountain, and that's why it's seven days. I was like, you're kidding me. And so I made it to the top, but... As I got to the top, my glasses I thought were fogging up, and I kept on shrugging along. I get to the top and I clean my glasses. I clean my glass, and it wound up that the altitude sickness had caused me to go blind. So there I was finally at the top of Kilimanjaro, and I asked the guys, Is there a sign or something that tells us we're here? And they're like, Yeah, it's over there. I said, Really can't see anything. <laughs> So then um, I had to get myself off the, you know, so ba- I, I was like...
1: Did they take you down the mountain immediately?
0: Well, I mean, wait, wait you're only up there for a few, uh, for about a half an hour anyway, but I really wasn't panicked. I was like, okay, I'll get it. And so it was basically like looking in a mirror after taking a hot shower. That was what my vision was. And then by the time I got base camp, my vision was back. But um, yeah, so that was one of my adventures. <laughs>
1: I like a good sport where the accessories are interesting. You know, I mean, I I um, hiked around Tasmania and I love the fact that I had my backpack and my water bladder and my sheepy and- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. So you've done you've done a bit of climbing though, not necessarily like mountain climbing crampons no. kind of stuff, but but certainly steep hiking. Um, the Incas,
0: yeah, we did. I did the Inca Trail with uh, five other f- five other friends, four other friends, and we had a r- wonderful, wonderful guide, um, and uh, it was a, it was incredible. I mean, it, in all honesty, Machu Picchu was great, but it's the, that is one of those things where the journey was greater than the destination. Because you're walking on, on stairs that are thousands of years old. And it's just, yeah, it's just an amazing, amazing hike.
1: Just as you say that, I just went into the heart space and, and dropped, you know, just that. I felt that.
0: Yeah. I, That's I mean, amazing. I mean, Machu Picchu was wonderful. I mean, probably my, my favorite uh, or my most breathtaking sight was uh, Petra in Jordan, going through this this narrow uh, walkway with cliffs on either side, and then an opening, seeing that, that tr- treasury building, getting bigger with every step as you approach it, absolutely breathtaking.
1: <laughs> yeah. Where's the one place that you haven't traveled that you would like to?
0: Um, this November, December, um, there's going to be a solar eclipse in Antarctica, and um, one of my other things, which I think we'll probably wind up talking about in a, in a few minutes, <laughs> is that I've I've bought a ticket on the Virgin Galactic space shuttle, and they keep their what we call future astronauts uh very very entertained so they're actually organizing a trip for us to go down to Antarctica to see the uh I mean it'll be it'll be one of my more expensive vacations but yeah. it's two bucket lists in one you know to see a solar eclipse in a, and seeing Antarctica in one it's it's worth it
1: so uh first things first won't that depart from Australia? Won't so you're hope you're hoping for?
0: It, it'll it'll mission? probably depart from. I, actually, I didn't even think about that, but I think it departs from South America. I think. It'll, okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. Sorry, I'm just because I'm so used to Tasmania, right. therefore, Antarctica and and the missions and so on, and so so the next thing is you've bought a ticket to space. Now, are they really $250,000? I hate to be vulgar and talk money, but that's like, whoa.
0: Yes, and, and what, what's, what's funny about it is that, um, well, basically, again, I go back. I guess I have these long-term desires. So I think I was probably 19 when the very first American space shuttle was rolled onto the, onto the launch pad. And I looked at, I was watching it on TV and I said, oh my God, in my lifetime, we might be able to do this. And I had been talking about this ever since. And when Virgin finally was, you know, announcing that they were selling tickets, I went online and um, I got a phone call and said, are you still interested? So I knew it was 250, but I thought I would be able to pay it over time. And so I said, well, you know, and they said, oh no, you have to pay everything up front. And I was like, where am I gonna, where am I gonna get? And I realized that I had taken a home equity line of credit on my apartment and I didn't really understand what that meant. So I went to the bank and I said, so I have this home equity line of credit. What does this mean? They said, well, we'll give you, you know, $150,000 and you don't have to pay any of it back until, you know, you only have to pay interest until 10 years from now. And I said, wait a minute, you're you're just going to give me money? And they're like, yeah. And I said, I'm going to space. And they said, what are you doing with this money? (laughs) (laughs) I said, I'm going to space. They said, why? And I said, you're giving me money to do it. And so I took the home equity line of credit and then went back to work to pay it off.
1: (laughs) Thank you for being so open and honest. It really was such a personal question. But it's like, you know, I I just, I remember somebody once telling me that they bought a $60,000 first class ticket to fly and I just couldn't make sense of that. So when I was researching, because you'd said, oh, I've got a ticket to Richard Branson's (laughs) space thing, I was like... How do you even do that? La, 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 la. So it's just you and Aston Kutcher sipping champagne, right? You go up in a shuttle. How long yeah. does the trip last?
0: It's it's not long. So basically, I have a prop for you here.
1: Yeah, show me, show me the prop.
0: Go So, so basically, <laughs> what it is is that it takes off from 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 land on the power of one of these side planes. Right. The shuttle is here in the middle. So it goes up to a certain certain distance up in space. The shuttle gets dislodged or, or unhooked. This thing, because the weight of the shuttle is no longer on it, zooms up because of gravity. And then um, the ignition of the shuttle takes off we go up uh 60 or 70 miles above the earth's surface um we experience weightlessness so at one point we actually unhook our seatbelts and float around for about 5 to 7 minutes which being a fat kid is a dream come true to be weightless <laughs> and um and then we um Float back to Earth. So it's a very short... It's about three and a half hours altogether.
1: Um, Is it just like an aircraft cabin, or is it like a spaceship, or...?
0: It has windows along this... There are only... There's the pilot, the co-pilot, and six passengers. Right. And and windows across the top and windows on the ceiling. And, in fact, um, I think we are actually upside down for part of it so that we're seeing the earth and you will Story actually see the curvature of the earth and you will also see the blackness of space so you'll be in that in that zone and in all honesty I've, I've seen uh, some people who work for Virgin who've done a, a test flight and as she was describing it my you know you start tearing up
1: Oh
0: (laughs) because you're like oh my god in my life i'm going to do this
1: yeah yeah so So do you have to have a special suit are there clothes
0: actually um under armor designs the space suits um and everybody will get a customized suit. Uh, there's no you. You don't bring anything. You, they you. They have special pockets to bring. You know either. You know memorabilia that you want to take that say, "Oh, I, I had this in space." Yeah. Um, but there's going to be cameras, so you don't bring cameras or anything like that. They'll be filming everything. Um, but yeah, they they unveiled the space suits, I think in early 2019, where they, Virgin always does everything grand. So they basically had this wonderful unveiling and fortunately it was in New York, so I was able to go to the unveiling. And uh, yeah, so I've seen the suits and the boots and all that stuff.
1: <laughs> oh, look, this is fantastic. I can't wait to hear that you've got to Antarctica. And where are they? Do they have any idea when you might be able to fly to space? Is there like some well, kind of idea?
0: Stay tuned because they are doing a test flight um, this month. So uh, I'm I'm six hundred around six hundred on the waiting list. Okay. So there'll be at least a hundred flights before I get up there, and uh, so I'm expecting 2024 maybe for me. Okay. Uh, but it's. You know, just, you know, one more thing to well,
1: get, be excited I wanna, about. Well, I want to interview you. I'm sure we're going to talk between then and now. But I would like to interview you um, when you've done it. I think that would be so amazing.
0: It, it's absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I just... It's been wonderful and the people I've met have been wonderful. I've I've gone I've gone to Idaho for a solar eclipse and met some some of my I'm gonna say future astronauts because that's what we actually call ourselves. I love that. It sounds so corny.
1: No, I just love it. I and I think I think with everything that's happened over the last twelve to eighteen months, this really is there's a return to corny, you know? Yeah. There's a return to these. To finding out what makes me feel good, you know, um, not these grandiose, um, uh, like the fear of missing out stuff, or the, but but just these little things that that are part of our lives that make us feel good, you know.
0: I, I mean, in in reality, I mean, here I am talking about going into space, but yeah,
1: I was thinking that too.
0: But because of COVID, I mean, I had shirts that, you know, I never sewed a button on a shirt in my life. And I basically have a new wardrobe because I sewed about 15 buttons onto shirts that had been in my closet. And I was like, this was a big accomplishment for me. I learned to sew.
1: These are the little things. I knitted my my coffee pot a sweater. Yeah, it's... Like, why not? I've got a day.
0: It's appreciation of the little things. Yeah. And giving us the time to actually appreciate those little things.
1: Yes, instead of just scrambling through them like some kind of cartoon rabbit, you know. Yeah. This has been wonderful. Thank you for all of your time.
0: Oh, thank Um, you. You're
1: a most interesting man, and uh, and I'm so honoured to have you on the show. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. This was wonderful. And I'll I've subscribed to your channel. I can't wait to see the other uh, interviews that you do.
1: Fantastic. Craig, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Have a great one. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. You've been listening to Tate Fountain with Ella James.
1: Available
0: at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio or your favourite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at Bytes.com. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.